Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Let me give you an update. Last week, we uh, tried out the Version Live. It's there today again, for those of you that would be interested in that. Um, several people voted on the poll we had last week. We're talking about routines today and people get into routines, and I've already had a couple of people complain there's no poll this week. There's no poll to vote on, but we voted on one last week, and several of you did. And uh, while the voting was pretty diverse, um, if you've been on there, you've seen this, but about 34% of you said, or one in three, that the biggest responsibility that prevents you sometimes from seeking the Lord with all your heart is your family. And so uh, that was number one. Number two it was friends and then school and work. And so uh, I- I'm excited about the opportunity for version and uh, being able for you to follow on uh, your phones or online. And so um, we're in the midst of that as well. We're in the midst of a series of sermons called Life Untamed. And it's a, a sermon series that's based out of a book by Mark Batterson called Wild Goose Chase. And the idea literally is that we sometimes or most of the time end up living our lives in a way that is too calm or comfortable when God intends for us to live a life of radical adventure. Now, last week we talked about the fact that um, God wants us sometimes to break through our responsibilities and that any time a responsibility prevents us from pursuing the Lord, that we have missed out on the importance of that particular responsibility. Next week we're going to talk about assumptions and ways that sometimes assuming things and about what God can do in our lives will prevent God from doing some major things in our lives. But today we're going to talk about routine. Now, when I say the word routine, what do you think of? What's that? Say it again. Gymnastics. Thank you, Jeff. Hefe, I always trust you for that. So we practice that in staff meeting, right? All right, gymnastics, other than that, what do you think of routine? Something you do over and over. Something boring, all right? School, somebody said. Routine is something that you just do. Over and over again. Here's the actual definition. Regular, unvarying, habitual, unimaginative, rote procedure. It's something that you just get stuck in the process of doing over and over again. um, I don't know if somebody mentioned school or not, but a funny story about Eli. uh, We're driving down the road, and he he was tired of school. He was tired of going to school. Didn't want to go to school anymore. And said, Daddy, how much longer have I got to do this school thing? And I said, well, your daddy is still in school. And he said, ugh. Right? This school is something you do over and over again, and it's just part of it. And the fact is that there are routines in our lives that we don't even think about. My, my best definition for a routine is something you can do without even thinking. Okay? Something that you just kind of do. Um, we, we all have things in our lives that go on constantly without us being aware of it. Uh, things that happen just all the time. In fact, I was thinking about today things that we take for granted. Things that happen, uh, functions of our body that digest food and give us the energy that we need, and sleep cycles and what happens in restoring that, and things that we just take for granted. For the fact that you're moving very rapidly right now. It doesn't look like it. But the earth spins at, anybody know how fast does the earth spin? There are 24,000 miles that it tows in a day. 
1,000 miles an hour. That's pretty quick. Anybody ever traveled 1,000 miles an hour? Well, you are right now, as a matter of fact. But other than that, and at this moment, the earth is swirling around the sun, moving around the sun. Anybody know how fast that is? 67,000 miles an hour. So whatever else you have on your agenda today, part of your agenda is moving 1.3 million miles, or give or take a couple, all right? Now, the point of all that is to say that there are things in our lives that have just become such a part of our lives that they're just routine. We don't think about them. We don't, we don't investigate them. We just trust them. And sometimes God has to break through the routine of our lives to actually speak to us. There has to be a moment when heaven and earth collide. One of the things that I enjoy doing, um, not in any way that I'm actually doing the flying, but I enjoy flying. I don't fly an airplane, never flown an airplane, but I enjoy flying. How many of you enjoy flying? All right. I like flying. I like a lot of things about it. I like that moment when you're going down the runway right before the wheels lift off the ground. I I love that anticipation. I I love um, the, the anticipation of coming down and you know, you're about to land and you're waiting for that landing. I love that, that moment. I'm even, I'm a little crazy. I even like last couple of years, we've gone to Brazil. When we've flown from Nashville to Miami, we fly in what we call the pencil plane. Right? Very, those of you that have been, you know, it's very thin, very straight, small plane. It, it has one seat and two seats. That's it. And the aisle in the middle is the smallest aisle you've ever seen on an airplane. It's a tiny plane. I don't even mind when that plane, which doesn't handle turbulence very well, has that momentary little drop. It's kind of like an amusement ride, right? You get on there. And, now, I don't, like, I don't like a big drop, but I don't mind the little drop. I, I just enjoy flying. But you know what my favorite part of flying is this? is when you're climbing up to your cruising altitude. And it's not a cloudy day, but there are a few clouds. And when you break through the clouds as you're going up. And in that moment... It almost feels like you're kind of in between heaven and earth. You can see the sun in a new perspective. The clouds look completely different than anything you've ever seen before. In fact, there are times when there are things that you can see at that level that you just can't describe to anybody unless they've actually been there. In the book that we've been talking about, Wild Goose Chase, the Celtic Christians that call the Holy Spirit the wild goose, also have a name for those moments in life when the heaven and earth almost seem to collide. And they call them the thin places. The places in your life where things just kind of thin out for a minute and God is allowed to speak. And in Exodus chapter 3, we have one of those thin places. I want us to read together chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Because today what I'm going to talk about is that we must learn to break the routines of our lives to look for the thin places that are there. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the mountain, came to Horab, the mountain of God. 
Now, I love this little first verse. It introduces the setting. We know who Moses is if you've been in church. If not, Moses was a guy that was born to Hebrew parents, but he was born at a time when it wasn't good to be born to Hebrew parents because they were killing all the babies that were born to Hebrew parents. And so they put him in a basket. They put him on the river. They send him down the river literally. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. She takes him in. They raise him in the Pharaoh's palace. He rises to places of leadership. He rises to places where he's given command over things. And in one of those times, he sees someone mistreating a Hebrew, an Egyptian, and he kills the Egyptian. Sent out into the desert, into the wilderness. Out in the wilderness, he finds uh, a woman. He marries her. Her father-in-law apparently employs him as a shepherd. And he finds himself in chapter 3 of this book, tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. I just want you to think, for a moment. He went from Pharaoh's court to Jethro's sheep. He went from the highest palace in the world to the backwoods of nowhere tending his father-in-law's sheep. And the Bible tells us that he had been tending sheep for around 40 years. Anybody here ever worked the same job for 40 years? Show me your hands. How many of you? couple anybody here ever worked the same job for four years you know if you know 40 years is a long time you know how i know 40 years is a long time because i haven't lived 40 years i'm not 40 yet think about this for around 480 months 2080 weeks 14,560 days day after day moses was out in the field with the sheep, looking at their rear ends, their front ends, their hind ends, their legs, investigating them, smelling them, being around them all the time. I wonder how many times he's sitting out there and he's poking the sheep with a staff and he thinks, man, I used to have it good. And just day after day after day, it becomes who he is. The routine of life is just who he is. In fact, uh, the people that study this scripture uh, and know Hebrew will well say that there is this kind of understanding in the original Hebrew that this was what Moses had done for years and years. He was tending the flock just like he always did. It was monotonous. It was boring. It was okay. It was just being a shepherd. Now, here's a little bit or fact that kind of adds to the story. Does anybody know what the most hated profession in Egypt was? Being a shepherd. Reading through the chronological Bible, when Joseph is telling his brothers, come up here, it says, don't tell anybody that you're shepherds. So you have Moses out in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't know what's going on. God's kind of, he thinks God's kind of done with him. And then one day, everything changes. One moment, everything changes. In one instance, everything changes. Verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And then we have this classic line about Moses. So Moses thought, I'm going to go check that out. Why is it burning and not burning up? What's going on? This classic line of something different is there. 
he, he's walking around. He's probably been by that bush several times. He may have seen it before. And he's out there with the sheep. And he goes, this is strange. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Now, this is interesting. It says, who does it say in verse 2 appeared to him? The angel of the Lord. Who does it say in verse 4 spoke to him? God. Here's the thing. In the Old Testament, when the phrase, the angel of the Lord appears, sometimes it means just an angel. But many times, for instance, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and there is one walking among them who is like the Son of God. Uh, when uh, Joshua was getting ready to go to the battle of Jericho, and he's getting ready to fight, and it says one like the angel of the Lord appeared to him, or the captain of the Lord's army, that most scholars believe that when it says the angel of the Lord in this way, in this construction, that what it means is that it is the Lord himself appearing to Moses, probably through a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. So he gets there, and God says to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses says simply, here I am. God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face. Now, here's the point. We sometimes read these stories and we sense what's happening here. And we say, of course Moses understood that. I mean, we know Moses. Moses is the great leader of Israel. He's the great uh, guy from the scriptures. We know he knew what was going to happen. But there is no way in the world Moses expected this to happen on that day. It was like any other day. It was routine. It was normal. There is no way he expected it. And so he walks out there and he sees this strange sight. And the difference between Moses and truthfully between many of us is when he saw something strange or when he felt a tug on his heart at something different, he broke out of the routine of his life and he chose to ask questions about what was happening instead of just saying, oh, there's a bush over there. It's burning. And in the Bible, we often read these people and we're like, well, of course they knew what was going to happen. But I don't think Noah had a clue what God was going to do when God told him to start building a boat. I don't think David, when he was out shepherding sheep, had a clue that he would become king. I don't think an orphan named Esther had any idea that she would impact the world like she did. And I don't think Moses understood what would happen because he turned aside to go see the bush. Now, here's one of the great things, the truths about God, is that you never know what a simple decision to follow Him might mean for the rest of your life. You never know. One of the things that I've become convinced that God came to save us from, besides our sins, besides ourselves, is simply from boredom. There are a lot of bored Christians in the world. I mean, God saved. God saved me. He's got my sins. I'm ready to move on. And they live their lives as the most boring people you can imagine. Just boring. I was thinking about this the other day when uh, I was driving Eli and Luke, and we were coming to um, we were coming to basketball. They played upward basketball on Saturday, and. As a father, it is my time-honored tradition to introduce them to game day music. Right? Now, when you're getting ready to play a game, you need to be pumped up, ready to go. You need to have some good music. And so I got my got my iPhone out. I was going to say, I said, guys, it's time to get some game day music going. And so 
I plugged it in, and I looked through there to find something appropriate to play for the occasion of getting them pumped about playing pre-K upward basketball. You know, the ABC song wasn't going to do it for this day, all right? This is big time. And I looked through my iPhone, and there wasn't a single song by what you would call a Christian artist that you thought, man, that's going to pump them up. And the Lord just kind of put this thought in my mind, and, you know, you do with it whatever you want to do with it. As believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to be living the most exciting, joyous life there is to live. And yet our music doesn't have much real joy and celebration. Where is the Christian party music? That's what I want to know. Right? I mean, who ought to have a better time in the world than us? Now, y'all are looking at me like you're sticks in the mud right now. That's okay. I want to enjoy life. I don't want to be bored. I don't want to live a life that's just kind of okay. I want to be able to sing in celebration of what the Lord is doing. I, I watched the movie Secretariat. How many of you have seen Secretariat? All right, the movie. All right, not the real horse, the movie. All right? I watched it. And Secretariat is um, written, directed by a believer. It's the same guy that wrote Braveheart. It's a guy that, that tries to put his beliefs in scripts, although they're not Christian movies. We don't pre-screen them at churches. But in Movie Secretariat, I'm going to give away the ending here. If you don't know the ending already, go to Wikipedia. You can read all about it. He wins, okay? Secretariat wins. And in the last scene of the movie, Secretariat is coming around the last turn in the last race they talked about, the Triple Crown Belmont Stakes. And as he comes around, the voiceover starts quoting the book of Job, where God describes the magnificence of a horse. And as the horse who is running and going to win with a time and at a distance that nobody has come close to since then, is running that race, suddenly an African-American choir starts singing, Oh, Happy Day. And they start blasting it. And as that horse crosses the finish line, it literally says, that day when Jesus washed my sins away. I wanted, you know, I've never ridden a horse for real. I mean, I've, I've sat on a horse and had somebody walk the horse around. I've never ridden a horse for real in my life. But at that moment, I wanted to go get a jockey helmet and, you know, let's go ride. Let's go. I think God came to save us from our own boredom. And the biggest lie that has been told in the Christian circles in America for the last 50 years is that somehow being a Christian means you've got to be a prude and that you can't have fun. And what happens here is God says to Moses, I am about to give you the most amazing adrenaline rush you have ever seen. Do you think, you know what adrenaline is, right? It's that stuff that gets you pumped. Do you think Moses had adrenaline coursing through his veins when he stepped back into Pharaoh's palace for the first time? Do you think when God told him in a moment to throw down his staff and when the staff comes down, it's a snake and then pick up the snake. Do you think he had adrenaline running through his veins when he did that? Do you think as he stood on the edge of the Red Sea and he spread those arms out and the sea began to rise and part? Do you think that there was adrenaline and excitement running through his veins? Absolutely. 
And what God has called us to do is to live a life that is not routine, that is not okay, that is not caught up in doing things without thinking, that we're just so involved in what we're doing that it's the daily routine we have. He has called us to live a life of adventure. And what has happened to us, I believe, as believers, is sometimes we have mistaken adrenaline for fear. And so we back away instead of allowing God to do amazing things through us. Now you say, well, pastor, is there any biblical evidence for what you're talking about right now at all? Well, there is in John when Jesus says that he came not to just give us life, but to give it more abundantly. There's the passage in Ephesians when he says that uh, he wants to do more than we can ask or imagine. There's the passages where the people that are followers of God, whatever else you can say about them from Acts to the end of the book of Revelation, they did not live boring lives. They weren't always safe, but they weren't boring either. And when God comes to Moses and says in verse 7, I have seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. And then he gets to the very end at the end of verse 10 and says, And I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people out. You see, when you signed up to be a follower of Jesus, you signed up for a life that is like no other. So here's the question. Have you allowed routine to get in the way? Let me just give you one piece of advice real quickly. That when the thin places in your life come and you sense God calling you to something, make no excuses. None. That's what Moses does, right? I mean, he says to God, God, wait a minute. Wait, did, did, did you just say that you want me to go? L- listen, God, I, I'm nobody. I, I don't have, I'm not any, I'm, not, I'm nobody. Yes, Moses, I'll be with you. But God, you don't understand. I'm not qualified. God, God I'm, not, I'm not able to do this. And Moses just, and God says to Moses, I'll take care of that. But they won't listen to me. That's not your problem. I mean, God, are you absolutely sure that you're calling me, not somebody else? I can't even talk. Moses, I'll give you your voice. God, you got a mistake here. I'm the wrong guy. Send somebody else. Let me just say something to you. Anytime the Lord calls you to a specific task and you think in trying to be humble, you're suggesting that somebody else would be better, do you realize you're calling into question the very one that created the universe and his wisdom? And that any excuse that you try to give to God when he asks you to do a task is nothing but a failed attempt to question the very wisdom and sovereignty of God Almighty. So don't make excuses. Resist the temptation. Do what Moses eventually does and what he did at the beginning and says, here I am. Now, in order to kind of break through the routine of life, let me give you a couple of things that you can try. First of all, You've got to change your place and or your pace. Try reading some different things. Try reading a new translation of the Bible. Maybe do a 40-day fast. You don't have to fast from food. You can fast from fast food. You can fast from television. You can fast from Facebook. You can fast from all kinds of things. Whatever it is in your life that's become routine that takes you away from serving the Lord. And when you 
should be doing those things, you spend time with the Lord. Keep a journal. Write some things down. There are a lot of people that live the same Christian life year after year because they never see what God is doing in their life or record what God is going to do. Go on a retreat. And our youth have got a glow weekend in a couple of weeks. Be a part of that. Men have an opportunity in Memphis if you want to go. Go be a part of that. Our women are going to Gatlinburg for a retreat in a couple of months. Go be a part of that. Do something different. Break out of the routine of your life. Go on a mission trip. Make the final decision that you're going to break the routine of your life. You're going to go to Brazil. We met a couple weeks ago. There's still plenty of time to sign up. You're going to go to Brazil. You're going to do that. Go to New York. We're going to meet tonight, 6 o'clock, Parker Chapel, to go to New York. Talk about that. Say, that's what I'm doing this year. I'm going to break out. I'm going to go. Find something different to do. Start serving where you are. Hook up with the Bridge Ministry or Souls for Souls or the Help Center. Find places in your community to work. We talked about that at Christmas, but sometimes we talk about those kind of things at Christmas, and then January 1st comes along, and we're like, all right, well, we'll talk about that next Christmas. Plug into a small group. Find a Sunday school class. If you're a part of a Sunday school class you've been a part for a long time, then do something different. Find a way to make it different. Break the routine of your Sunday school. My guess is if I walked into your Sunday school class this week and I walked into your Sunday school class in three months, it would look very similar. I may not be true for all, but for many it's very similar. Do something different. You have my permission to do something different. Have a party. I don't mean a Sunday school fellowship, all right? Do something different. But here's the point of all of this. Don't do it different just to do it different. But in the midst of breaking your routine, ask where God is meeting you. Moses, out in the back of nowhere, suddenly sees this bush. And I don't think for a minute... He thought it would forever change his life, the life of a nation, the life of a people, or my life and your life like it did when he simply turned aside. What opportunities are you missing on a daily basis? And what is God asking you to do?